Turn your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. As we continue our series, Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow. Revelation 14, verse 1, and this is the Word of God. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It's these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. It's these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning that we have that word that stands forever. And we have the sacrament. We're asking your Spirit's help, Father, to, uh, to bring those two together to give us a better understanding of the return of the Lamb and all that means for us as the people of God. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the new song quickly became the anthem of triumphant sports teams everywhere. And so when victory was certain at good old Nitro High School, the student body would rise as one and sing to the visiting team that the Wildcats had just vanquished. Um, the deeply meaningful words from Billboard Magazine's last number one hit of the 1960s. Na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey-hey, goodbye. And um, it's deep, folks. Um, Throughout history, uh, the winners of life's battles and wars have sung a victory song. Uh, like Moses and God's people when they defeated Egypt and Pharaoh, I will sing to the Lord for His triumph gloriously. The horse and rider thrown to the sea. And then a few hundred years later, the Israelites singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, celebrating the great victories that God had given to them. And that's what we have here in Revelation 14, God's people singing. And so as we prepare to move into the climactic final battle section of Revelation, um, we begin with a new song of celebration of the victory that's really already happened, uh, as well as anticipating the ultimate and final triumph that's about to be revealed in this dramatic conclusion of Revelation. So to join that song, let's go to the text. Now the context is the combatants for the great battle in history have been revealed. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now you remember that Revelation 12 introduced the great red dragon to us who attempted to stop the birth of Messiah, uh, to stop his ministry. And that frustrated the red dragon who we were, is revealed to be Satan himself. And so we left him standing at the end of the chapter on the edge of the land and sea. And he's fuming and he's vowing to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. To hunt his followers down wherever they are. And then as he stands there 
In chapter 13, he summons that horrific beast out of the, out of the ocean, out of the sea to be his helper. We saw this beast represents the powerful kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms we meet back in Psalm 2, who are opposed to God as the ruler of this world. To see to it that, uh, that the people they rule are turned away from God. And then Satan, the dragon, summons another beast. This one from the land. Not as hideous as the last. This is, is a lamb, in fact. Intended to deceive the people of God. Uh, and through philosophy and through false teaching. Uh, to try and drive the church away from their allegiance to Jesus Christ and to His truth. To lead the church to worship anything but God. And where He does not succeed, He's then to aggressively persecute the people of God. And that's what's been going on for 2,000 years. This unholy trinity of the dragon and beast one and beast two pursuing the church. But suddenly there's a welcome change of sight. The lamb who's been absent from the story, if you've been counting the chapters for six chapters now, uh, returns to view. Now here's the thing. Jesus has not really been absent. But in a sense it seemed that way as we concentrated on the enemy and what the enemy was up to. It's like that sometimes for us. We get so focused on the battles of this world, particularly in the political realm. Or we get so lost in the details of our day-to-day schedules that we forget about Jesus. But He's not absent. And so the scene here is Mount Zion, where God has installed Jesus on His holy hill. Now this is the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the city that one day we'll see as we get to the end of the book that will descend uh, from heaven in Revelation. As a contrast to the lamb that came out of the earth, the true lamb comes down from heaven. And so as the persecution led by the beast continues across the centuries, we're not to get discouraged when we keep our eyes focused on the triumphant Christ. Again, back to the Isaiah verse. He will be the stability of our times. Now, here's the thing. He's not alone. He has 144,000 with him. Now, who are they? Now, we've already seen this number in Revelation. Uh, and we saw that it's the complete uh, people of God. It's the complete number of the saints. It's 12 times 12, that perfection. Times 1,000 uh, to, to mean an incalculable number. It's like the promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heavens and the sands of grain on the beaches of the world. These are the ones who have been sealed by God for their eternal protection from Satan. And they've been marked with names on their foreheads, the Father and the Son. Clearly the mark of the beast that we looked at last week is a counterfeit that imitates this. And the reality is all of humanity is uh, symbolically sealed into one of two camps. All right? uh, that's, that's how we symbolically will seal Avery today. We'll mark her out as part of God's family. And so you're either marked as a member of God's family or marked as belonging to the beast. And when we saw the 144,000 back in chapter 7 the last time, they're clear on the earth. But now they're in the new Jerusalem. What's that tell us? Satan has failed in his attempt to lead the people of God astray. 
Jesus said back in John's gospel, he would not lose any of those that the Father had given him. And he does not. The complete number still here. None have been lost. So you say, where are the saints right now? Are they on heaven or on earth? The answer is yes. All right? Uh, Jesus, the triumphant lamb, is with the people of God wherever they are. He's with those who are in heaven and some are there. And obviously, where are we? We're here on earth, but he's with us as well. And that's when John hears this, this voice from heaven. And heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. Well, clearly this voice is sort of a distinct sound. It's a thunderous waterfall. Think Niagara Falls. It's thunder. Think of the loudest thunderstorm you've ever been in. Yet it also sounds like harpists playing their harps. That's a bit of an odd description, I would grant you. Um, but you've got to remember, what John's using is very limited human vocabulary to describe what's behind the scenes of history, where you and I cannot see. But what a sound he hears. And it's accompanied a new song. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. So they're singing a new song to celebrate victory, their redemption. This is the church celebrating God's great redeeming triumph in Jesus Christ. And they're standing singing the song before the throne for the four living creatures and the elders. And the only ones that can sing it are those who are redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, our clothes washed in the blood of the Lamb. Those whose Christ atoning death on the cross has paid the price for our sins. And so we are now His forever when our faith and our trust is in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Friends, that's why we sing. All right? That's why we make a joyful noise to the Lord. No, we don't all have Grammy Award winning quality voices, to be sure. But we have much to celebrate. Our enemy's been vanquished. And so we can sing to, to, the, to the dragon, no, 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 hey, hey, goodbye. But this morning we won't. Instead, we'll turn around and we'll sing to our Savior, hallelujah. What a Savior. And then we're told a little bit about the redeemed. It's these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. It's these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. So at least four things there we learn about the redeemed. Start with the obvious question. If the church is made up of all the people of God, why are, why are we talking about uh, calling them virgins? And again, this is symbolism. This is not just unmarried men, all right? Uh, two things for this. Uh, in Old Testament Israel, when the army was headed into war, the soldiers were to be celibate during preparation. They were to be ceremonially pure because they were going to wage holy war. And in the New Testament, the church is described as the bride of Christ. In fact, Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to, to one husband 
to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So it's symbolic. The opposite of Revelation that will be seen coming up is seeing Babylon as a prostitute. So first, this is the church as a pure army engaged in a holy war. Second, the church is that which follows the Lamb, not the beast wherever he goes. And that means we follow him into spiritual battle. Third, this is the church as the first fruits. Um, that meaning, as, as Greg Bill says, this, this is the totality of God's people as an offering set apart to God. And finally, this is a church of pure speech. Symbolizes their blameless before God. In other words, they've been made holy. Friends, this is us. All right? It's a church engaged in holy war as we follow the Lamb. Because we're an offering to God. And we've been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what about us? Uh, Makes for a clear contrast. The joyous followers of the triumphant Jesus versus the enslaved followers of the epic loser. And that's Satan. You may say that when I contemplate the battles ahead, uh, I might say when, I, when, I, when I'm concerned about the future, I do think about the children and the youth of this church. And I have five grandchildren to go here. I have five great nieces to go here. I have a great nephew here. We have Avery. We have all the children, all of your children, uh, the children and the youth of this church. And I would say to the youth and children, this picture needs to be fixed in your minds. And it needs to be fixed in all of our minds. Because the, the, the onslaught that's taking place globally against the church. And friends, that onslaught is growing here in our own country as well. Again, what's the picture? A triumphant lamb. A lamb who defeats dragons and beasts. So keep that picture of Jesus' victory. And remember, we are marked. We're marked men and women and boys and girls. We're marked and we're sealed for all eternity. We're protected with the name of God. And so when it feels like the world is overwhelming us, and at times it does, when sometimes the headlines look like Satan's winning, and at times it does, Uh, When it feels like the the whole world is perverted with no sense of right and wrong, and sometimes it does, recall this picture. Recall the church standing with the triumphant Lamb of God, following Him, marked, set apart as holy. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ, and so we can sing a new song. But first, we're going to eat, all right? So today, on behalf of Jesus, I would invite all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, all our members of Good Stand Up of an evangelical church to come to this table so we can be reminded of the triumph of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a believer, we're glad you're here, but the Bible urges you not to partake of the elements. Rather, let them pass. Follow the guidelines, suggestions in the bulletin, and please let one of us talk to you following the service about Jesus. Likewise, children not being examined by the session should not uh, take either, 
But know that we're going to have a class in November, so see me if you're, if you're interested in that. Believers, this is a meal to, uh, to encourage us, and it's to strengthen us in our faith and our walk. But as we come, we're called to examine ourselves, see if we recognize the body of Christ. So as we say, this means if we have sin we do not want to turn from, if we have sin that we think is no big deal if I just keep on doing this sin, then I'm not discerning or recognizing the body of Christ, what price Jesus paid for my sin. In that case, the Bible urges us, don't participate, but search our hearts in prayer. But if we need strength for the battle, and I suspect we all do, who follow Jesus, then we're called to come and taste Christ's triumph today and to be reminded what He has done. So let's take a moment now and quiet our hearts before a holy God confess our sins and receive His forgiveness. Father, we thank you that your word tells us that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. You'll take that sin and you'll cast it into the depths of the sea and remove it from us. So, Father, we thank you for that assurance today, Father. We thank you that you have taken away our punishment. You've taken away our guilt And that, Father, you've declared that we are yours today and forever. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.